Well, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Unraveling the Words of Yahweh. My name is Kevin Eichner. So glad to have you tuning in here this morning. Oh, mercy sakes. Hey, happy Father's Day. Oh, yeah. Oh, mercy sakes. What a beautiful day. Yeah, Father's Day. Um, as we celebrate our fathers. And, and you know what? Let's not forget. Let's not forget the most important father. That's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The creator of every soul. And we need to uh, keep him also in our minds on this beautiful, beautiful Father's Day. Oh, man. Hey, in our last study, this is Unraveling the Words of Yahweh. And um, this is where we sit down and we literally, we literally unravel uh, the words of Yahweh. Um, I'll take it back into the Greek, the Hebrew, and so forth. Um, just showing you, oh, trying to open and expand your eyes and and, and your study and show you just how beautiful this book is, this Bible. In our last study, I went over the sixth seal, the seventh trump, the seventh mile. Compare that to Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, and Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 18 and 22. Uh, hopefully you, you follow along creating a chart. Showing that these events are all the same event. In other words, it's basically one story, but told in different ways. Just are the four Gospels are one story, but, but they're told in four different views. Now, I told you that on the podcast, I would try to uh, put this chart up there. Well, it looked good when I submitted it, but uh, following up, I wasn't really happy with it. So i tell you what. If you're interested in this chart or any charts, feel free to email me. I'm getting ready to give you the email address. It's keitner, K-E-I-T-N-E-R, at net zero. One word, netzero.net. That's K-E-I-T-N-E-R, at netzero.net. Uh, it's so important that you have this chart. That you can follow along to see just how the words of Yahweh, uh, how, how they how they go along, how they follow. Not to not not like your traditional church teachings. So uh, if you email uh, when I get home later on, I will send you that chart. Also, if you want to text me, you can also use this phone number at 302-299-2701. That's 302 2992701 Now once again let me emphasize the fact that the book of revelation or, or, or as I like to call it the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah is not wrote in a 7 year chronological theory you understand that it's not wrote in a 7 year chronological theory now, the most commonly held theory about the sequence of end-time events is that the book of Revelation was written in chronological order. The theory states that end-time events will happen in the order they appear in this book of Revelation. The interpretive approach to understanding Revelation, it is commonly written, is to accept the chronological order of the book and its plain sense meaning. Now, this theory states that the rapture of the church happens in chapter 4, verse 1. Thus, it's followed by seven years of hell on earth. 
In our upcoming studies on the apocalypse, I will have you to create more charts to explore the implications of the chronological written book. If by chance the events are, in fact, recorded in sequential order, then we are presented with all kinds of theological problems. Now, we have to ask ourselves, I'm very important, are we true students of the Word? Do you have a burning desire to understand this book, this book of Revelation? I'm going to uh, share with you some more examples. Now, we, in the book of Revelation, it talks about Babylon. Does Babylon fall once or twice? You see, in, in chapter 14, verse 8, it reads, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. That great city, because she made all nations drink of wine of the wrath of her fortification. And then we read there in Revelation chapter 18, verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, is become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. All these events took place on earth, by the way. In chapter 14, it's Babylon has fallen, has fallen that great city. According to the chronological theory, Babylon is gone by chapter 14. It's no more. According to the theory, however, Babylon must somehow be rebuilt because we read that it falls again four chapters later. Once again, we read in chapter 18, verse 2, Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. So I ask you, does Babylon fall twice or are there simply two accounts of the fall of Babylon. Now, another thing, when we get to these chapter 14 and 18, we're going to find out, we're not talking about what we know as Babylon, but Jerusalem. That was a nickname that was given to it, Jerusalem. Now, since I'm on the subject of this, let me ask you this. Is there one earthquake or are there five earthquakes? In Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld when he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake. The sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now, this event takes place on earth. But wait a minute. We have a, a, a similar situation in heaven. This would be a seal event. In Revelation chapter 8, verse 5, And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar, cast it into the earth, and there were voices and thunderings and lightnings, and an earthquake. So now we go to chapter 11, verse 13. This would be on earth. This is a trumpet event. And the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And the earthquake was slain of men, seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to Yahweh of heaven. So, is this the same earthquake or are these three different earthquakes? 
Well, you get down to verse 19 in chapter 11. Now you're up in, you, you got the vision from heaven. And the temple of Yahweh was opened in heaven. And there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. Well, is it, are these four separate earthquakes? Well, hold on, so we got one more to go. In chapter 16, verse 18, this will be in the earth. This will be a vile event. It reads, and there were voices, thunders, and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since the men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. So we just concluded that we have several earthquakes are recorded in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah. The first is the great earthquake and occurs in chapter 6. The second in chapter 8 is recorded as an earthquake. We got an earth, a great earthquake occurs in Revelation chapter 11, verse 13. Six verses later, there's another earthquake. Oh, by the way, we got one more final earthquake noted in chapter 16. Now, if we were to go by the church tradition chronological order theory, this place is five earthquakes over seven years. However, there's another possible explanation. Perhaps there's only one earthquake with Revelation giving five separate accounts of it. Do you ever think about that? Again, when we get into this great book, we ask ourselves how many times there's going to be great darkness. Well, let's look at this. The first vision on earth, this will be a seal event, we find in chapter 6, verse 12. And I beheld, when he opened up the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. Now we go into chapter 16, which is a vile event. This is on earth. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. So, how many darknesses? Is there one or is there two? How about the great hail? And we read in Revelation chapter 11, verse 19, which is a vision taken from heaven. This, by the way, is a trumpet sound. And the temple of Yahweh was open in heaven. And there was seen in the temple the ark of his testament. And there were lightnings and voices and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. However, when we get down to chapter 16, verse 21, now we're down on earth. And there fell upon men great hail out of the heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, about 120 pounds. Men blaspheme Yahweh because of the plague of the hell, for the plague thereof was exceedingly great. Since, since uh, uh, we're on this, how about the mountains and the islands? Do they move more than once? In Revelation chapter 6, verse 14, this would be a seal event. We're on earth. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it's rolled together. 
and every mountain and island was moved out of their places. However, we get down to verse 20. This is a vile event. Every island fled away and the mountains were not found. Is it plausible that the sun would be darkened twice? The first would occur early in the 6th chapter, the second in the 16th chapter, or maybe the sun goes dark only once in the events described in chapter 6 and chapter 16 are the same event. Do you ever consider that? How about the, the hail? Will a devastating hail really fall twice? How many times have the mountains and the islands been moved? Let me ask you this. At one point will the wrath of Yahweh be poured out? We, we read here in chapter 6, verse 17, we got the vision of the earth. This would be a seal event. For the great day of his wrath has come. Who shall be able to stand? Well, then when we go to chapter 11, verse 18, uh, this is a trumpet event seen from heaven. It reads, and the nations were angry. Thy wrath is come. The time of the dead that they should be judged. That thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. But then when we get to chapter 14, verse 9, we got the vision in earth. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and receive his mark in his forehead or in his mind, verse 10, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of Yahweh, which is poured out with mixture in the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels, and the presence of the Lamb. Then you skip down to verse 19. There in chapter 14. And the angel thrust his sickle in the earth. And gathered the vine of the earth. And cast it in the great winepress of the wrath of Yahweh. Then when you get to chapter 15 verse 1. We got the vision in heaven. This will be a vile event. And I saw another sign in heaven. Great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven last plagues. For in them is the filled up. Of the wrath of Yahweh. But hold on a second. Let's go over to chapter 16 verse 1. We're back on earth. Got an earth vision. This would be the same vile event. And I heard, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels. Go your ways. Pour out the vials of the wrath of Yahweh upon the earth. But then we get to chapter 19 verse 15. A vision up in heaven. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rout of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of the almighty Yahweh. Now, under the chronological order theory, the great day of Yahweh's wrath would come early in the book of Revelation, chapter 6. But in chapter 11, we see Yahweh's wrath coming again. Two chapters later, curiously, Yahweh's wrath is presented as a future event. Later in that same chapter, Yahweh's wrath is poured out. Chapter 15, we find that Yahweh's wrath is once again presented as a future event. It's poured out again in chapter 16. Finally, 
In chapter 19, Revelation describes uh, the wrath of uh, 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 Almighty Yahweh. So I ask you, will the great day of Yahweh's wrath be, be really be poured out five separate times? Why would John, the writer of the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah, present Yahweh's wrath as a future event twice in the middle of the book? Is the entire book of Revelation the wrath of Yahweh, or from chapter 4 onward, there's no scripture in the Bible to indicate either of these things? Maybe the answer is this, folks. Yahweh's wrath is poured out once but it is described in different ways as different points in the book. There we can conclude that the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah, is not in chronological order. The theory is haplessly flawed. There is an order to Revelation, but it's not a chronological from front to back. Keep in mind that John categorizes everything written in the book of Revelation into one of the three categories. The thing which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. This tells us immediately that the entire book is not prophetic. Not all revelation is future. After introducing Yeshua Messiah in chapter 1, we then read John's seven letters to the seven churches in Asia. Were these merely letters to the churches that existed in his day? Or did they mean something deeper? Were they really prophecy of the seven future church ages? Clearly, these were seven letters to seven churches. The problems that existed in the churches in John's day still very much exist in the churches today. There's no reason to assume otherwise. Chapters 2 and 3 fall into John's things which are category. Now, in the first verse of chapter 4, John clearly shifts to his third category. Come up hither. And I will show the things which must be hereafter. You see, chapter 4 begins prophecies for the future events. We are given three different views of the end times, folks. Each view gives us different details, not unlike how Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record the life of, a, of the Messiah from four different perspectives. The first view of prophetic events given in Revelation is the seven seals. The seals are the long story, and they end at Armageddon. The second account is told through the seven trumpets. The trumpets contain a shorter view that the seals, meaning they span a shorter period of time. Listen up now. But they have the same ending point, Armageddon. The seven vials are the last story. The vials, the very short account of end time events. And they too also end at 
Armageddon. Because there are three different starting points with the same ending point, we know that Revelation is not written chronological from beginning to end. We know that, folks. With all this said, the sixth seal, the seventh trumpet, and the seventh vial are the same event. The event of Yahweh, the wrath of Yahweh. It begins immediately after the great tribulation is when the Armageddon is fought. The battle of Armageddon and the battle of Gog and Magog are the same battle. Alright now. After, you, after giving something you think about on how this great book is laid out, let's go ahead and proceed in this chapter 6. In this chapter 6, we are now given a summary of the first four seals. Matter of fact, we can compare these seals to the book of Revelation. The first seal, verses 1 and 2, is the white horse, the rider with a bow in hand. We see that there in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5. The second seal there in verses 3 and 4 is the red horse, is war. We see that in Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 and 7. The third seal, black horse, famine. The rider, the balance is in hand. There in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 7. And then the fourth seal, the livid horse, pestilence. Once again, there in Matthew chapter 24. Before we begin this start of the sixth chapter of Revelation, let's do a brief study of Zechariah. That's right, Zechariah. If you have your Bibles, and I pray you do carry your Bibles and open your Bibles and follow along. Let's turn to Zechariah, whom Yahweh launches. And I want to go to chapter 6. Because, see, Zechariah, he gives us a very, very detailed, same detail, of what John sees in Revelation. Zechariah. Told you wrong. Zechariah actually means the remembered of Yah. In this chapter 6, this would be the eighth and final vision of Zechariah. Now, keep in mind, eight is new beginning. Zechariah, remembered of Yah, verse 1. And I turned, and I lifted up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, there came four chariots. Take notice. Out of the heaven. Four. The number of the earth. Four chariots. Those four horsemen of Revelation 6. From between the two mountains. Symbolic of, of kingdoms. Many scholars seem to think that this was Zion and the Mount of Olives. Which stood opposite towards the east. Both are the name of places from 
from where our, our uh, Lord judges the word, the world. They're the Mount of Olives. They're in Zechariah 14, 14. And he goes here. And the mountains were the mountains of brass. Judgment. If we were to turn, turn there, you know, keep your finger there in Zechariah. I want to, there's six. I want to go down there to chapter one now. And I want to pick it up, verse eight. See, there's so much here in, in this book of Revelation. And I saw by night. Now, just keep in mind here, the Jews begin their city with sunset. Therefore, the night which per, preceded the 24th day of the month is meant. And behold, a man riding upon a red horse. The color represents bloodshed, implying vengeance is to be inflicted on the foes of Israel. And he stood among the myrtle trees, symbolic of the Jewish temple, not a stately cedar, but a lowly a throw fragment myrtle. That were in the bottom, it says here, in the low place, the bottom of the river, alluding to Babylon near the rivers of the Euphrates and the Tigris. That there were in the bottom. And behind him, where there was a red horse, speckled and white. The red horse, that's the horseman mounted on the red horses here. It, comes, it confirmed. We got the speckled horses. White implies uh, a triumph, victory for Ju uh, Judah. Speckled is from the uh, root word. It means to intertwine. It's a combination of two colors, white and red. Red bay implies a state of things mixed. Partly prosperous, partly other words. Then said I, O my Lord, what are these? And the angel that talked with me said unto me, I will show thee what these be. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they whom the Lord has sent, Yahweh has sent, to walk to and fro through the earth. This is this answered here. This, this is the angel of the covenant. And here gives it a reply instead of an interpreting an angel. Implying that all communications. Now, don't overlook what's said here. Alright? These are they whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro the earth. Now, if Satan walks to and fro in the earth, this implies restless activity on errands of mischief to Yahweh's people. You can read that there in Job chapter 1 verse 7 in Job chapter 2. The Lord sends other angels to walk to and fro with unseasoned activity everywhere to counterwork Satan's designs and to defend his people. You see, folks, this is why you hear me say we are in a spiritual battle. I'm going to turn, keep your finger there, Zachariah. I'm going to turn to Job. So you guys understand what's happening in this spiritual battle. This ain't no joke, folks. We're living in a reality. Job chapter 7, verse 1. And Yahweh said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Where'd you come from, Satan? Then Satan answered Yahweh and said, From going to and fro in the earth. From walking up and down in it. You see, at that point in time, Satan had to 
had the ability to transform himself, to walk among us. Just as the demons, the spiritual deities of Satan, Lucifer, can also today. You bumbling idiots out there that say the Lord's not with us. You need to go to this uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 1 verse, verse 10. And the man that stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, These are they. Now take notice in, in, in verse 9. And I said, Oh my Lord, what are these? He's talking to a supernatural being. This individual was sent from the throne, the very throne that John is up there in heaven, there in the book of Revelation, the apocalypse of Yeshua Messiah. They're giving you eyewitness account. This angel, Zacharias, seemed to think was a man. And the man, the angel, These are they whom Yahweh has sent forth to walk to and fro the earth. Don't overlook this, folks. And they answered the angel of Yahweh that stood among the myrtle trees and said, We have walked to and fro through the earth, and behold, all the earth sitteth still and is at rest. Wow. Not only does Messiah among his, or stand among his people, the myrtles, but he intercedes for them with the Father. Yahweh, Yahweh Sabbath, Yahweh's uh, host. See, folks, we see here. Then the angel of the Lord, Yahweh, he answered and said, O Yahweh Sabbath, how long wilt thou have mercy on Jerusalem? Not the church. He didn't say the church, yet Kelsia, but he said Jerusalem, that city, that Babylon, the city of Babylon, and on the cities of Judah, against which thou hast indignation these three score and ten years. How long? He says here. And Yahweh answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. So the angel that communed with me, he said unto me, cry, proclaim, he's saying, so as to be heard clearly by all. Cry thou, saying, thus saith Yahweh Sabbath, I am jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. With great jealousy. As a husband is jealous for his wife. Wronged by others. So Yahweh is for Judah. Who has been injured wantonly by the heathen. I am very sore displeased with the heathen. That are at ease. For I was but a little displeased. And they helped forward the affliction. Uh oh. Very displeased with, with the heathen. I was a little bit displeased with my people. Just as today. He's displeased with his churches at Kelsia. Because they're not standing up for his, his cause. We are polluting the pulpits of the church of Yahweh. With sin and sin. 
whether you got pedophiles sitting in the telephone booths, whether you got the LGTBQR standing in the pulpits, or whether you got 32nd degree Freemasons standing in the pulpits. He's sick and he's tired of it. He doesn't want a bunch of pantyhose ministers. He wants men and women to stand up for his cause. To try to get the word out there. To, to open the eyes and the ears of those that can't hear, can't see the reality of what's going on. He is mad. He says here, they are at ease. They're carnally secure. He, he, he look, now listen to what he's saying here. They are at ease, but I am sore displeased with them. You see, their ease is accursed. Judah is afflicted, but as I love her, I'm jealous for her. Sixteen here in Zechariah chapter one. Therefore, thus saith Yahweh, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies, whereas whereas in anger I had before withdrawn her from her, as you read there in Hosea chapter five verse fifteen. Take notice with mercies, not merely of one kind, nor only once only, but repeated mercies. He says. My house shall be built. He's saying, my house shall be built. Now, history shows us that uh, uh, it, 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 we were in the second year of Darius. It only had its foundations laid. It really wasn't completed until the sixth year, as you read there in Ezra chapter 6, verse 15. But when you look at this spiritually, he's talking about something different, folks. My house, my sanctuary, my rest. An alliance shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem, a measuring line for building, not hastily, but with measured regularity. Not only the temple, but Jerusalem also was to be rebuilt. Verse 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith Yahweh Sabbath of hosts. My cities, though, though through prosperity, shall yet be spread abroad. And Yahweh shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Then I lifted up my eyes and I saw, and behold, four horns, powers. Hey, could these be the four hidden dynasties? And I said unto the angel that talked with me, what would be these? Supernatural, folks. He answered, these are the horns which have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. And Yahweh showed me four carpenters. Now, Very, very interesting word. I want you, listen up. You Freemasons out there. I want you to listen to me. Tell me that Yahweh is not against Freemasonry. 
The word here for four carpenters is karash. It means artificers. This is the same word used as mason. The several instrumentalities employed are to be employed in crushing the Gentile powers which scattered Judah. For every one of the four horns, there was a cleaving artificer to beat it down. For every enemy of Yahweh's people, Yahweh has provided a counteracting. This is the very... Let me go back here. I want to go back to Genesis. Keep your place in here. You see, this is why we I, 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 I titled this Unraveling the Words of Yahweh. All this connects... And we get down here, and then uh, da, 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 let's see here. In chapter four, we have the genealogy of Cain. All right, and I want to go down verse twenty-two. Talk about the genealogy of Cain. Listen very carefully. Do you remember what? Remember who Cain was? Cain, Cain was the offspring of Lucifer and Eve there in Genesis chapter 3. And Zelah. Now, I want to go up to verse 19. Lamech took unto him two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the other was Zelah. Zelah, she also bare Tubal Cain. Now, Tubal-Cain means flowing from Cain. This is a genealogy that goes back to Lucifer. Now, listen very carefully. And Zelah, she also bare Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every artificer in brass and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Artificer. Guess what, folks? That's the very, very same word as these four carpenters. Twenty-one here. Then I then said I, what come these to do? He said, These are the horns which have scattered Judah, righteousness, praise, so that no man did lift up his head. But these are come to fray them, to cast out the horns of the Gentiles, which lifted up their horn over the land of Judah to scatter it. These four carpenters, artificers, workers, as the Targum renders the word. These are the horns which scattered. Not, not the carpenters were the horns. For there are two distinct from, opposite to one another. They come to fray. They come to scatter it. We can think of the Gospels. They come to destroy the Gospels. You see, folks, we are in a spiritual battle. Make no bones about it. Now, I want to go back to Zechariah chapter 6. All right. Let me reread re uh, verse 1. And I turned and lifted up my eyes, and I looked, and behold, there came four chariots out between the two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of brass out of Jerusalem, Babylon. 
That's what we're talking about here. Babylon. Jerusalem. The first chariot. Now listen very carefully. Consequently, the colors of the horses indicate the destination of the chariots to execute judgment upon the enemies of the kingdom of Yahweh. Listen very carefully. The first chariot was red horses. Blood, war. This is Esau, Edom, Russia, communism. The second chariot were black horses, falseness, deception, grief. By the way, this, this word horses here is Seuss. S-O-O-S. Side note on Seuss. We know that in the English language, we say Jesus. I like to say Yeshua Messiah. If you look Jesus up in the strong concordance, 2424, it's pronounced E-Hesus. S-O-O-S. E-Hesus. Can you see the Hebrew word Seuss within this? In fact, the Hebrew word will be made up, of, it's made up of war horse. Now, allow me to show you something else. The Hebrew word Seuss, S-O-O-S, is made up of three Hebrew letters. It's the Samki, the Wa, and the Samki. Now, in Hebrew, we, we take these letters and we make numbers out of them. The Samki is 60, the Wa is 6, and then we have Samki with 60. By dropping the zeros, we see man's number within this. 666. Six, six. Now I ask you, do we serve a war horse, Zeus? Or the only begotten Son, the Lord and Savior, Yeshua Messiah? In fact, in most instances, these horses may be doing their work, claiming to be doing in the name. Hey folks, don't be deceived. We worship Jesus, not Zeus. These are the false horses, folks. This is why we unravel the words of Yahweh. Verse 3. And the third chariot were white horses. They were pale, hunger from starvation, even to death. Not only in the flesh, but also in the spiritual body. The fourth horse, grizzled. Grayish color, leanness, pestilence, plague, poverty, disease, famine. We got the bay horses, strong. Could be those of the Arab nations, of the Ishmaelites. Then I answered, I said unto the angel, supernatural. He's talking to supernatural again. What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered, and he said unto me, these now, in my companion Bible here, Dr. Bullinger comments in the margin, this is the angel's interpretations and needs no further explanations. It's our faith, not for our reasons. You understand that? It's for our faith, folks. He said, these are the four spirits. Some like to say angels. Could this be the same as the four angels of Revelation chapter 7 and in chapter 9, verses 14 and 15? What can we say they have to do with the end of time? Their ministry is earthward and it has to do with the judgment, folks. Why? 
because of the people, Yahweh's people. Over a course of time, the people have forgotten further and further away from Yahweh and his word, the Logos. Paul states there in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 11 and 12, that the Old Testament was an example set forth for us. If this is the case, we read in the Old Testament that when the people refuse to obey and follow the commandments set forth by Yahweh, he sends his wrath of judgments upon, which usually ends in bondage. These are the four spirits, Ruach. Now, these spirits allow the world rulers to put the people in a type of bondage. You can check out Daniel chapter 13. Hey, check out Ephesians chapter 6 on that gospel armor, by the way. Which go forth from standing before Yahweh of all the men, of all the earth, I should say. The black horse, which therein go forth into the north country. In Daniel chapter 11, that's Esau area, Rush, Russia. Remember I made mention of the four hidden dynasties? Take note of the economy. You will find that every major capitalistic country is in the northern hemisphere. Note that Germany, France, Great Britain, the USA, Canada were all in the northern countries. Just so I thought I'd throw that out there to you. Then he says, and the white horse goes after them or to the west of them. Hey, could these be the European countries, even here in the United States? And the grizzle go forth toward the south country. This grizzle here, it, it, it went into the, 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 the southern, southern hemisphere, such as South America, Africa. This prophecy has, prophecy has definitely come to pass. Most of all, your have-not countries are located in the southern hemisphere. The average lifespan in some of these countries is as low as 40 years, folks. The bay horses represent death, walk to and fro through the earth. The grizzled and the bay horses, which were seen pulling the fourth chariot, represent the same thing as the pale horse seen by John in the book of Revelation. By the way, Webster Dictionary says that the pale horse is one lacking intensity of color or void of luster. The colored grizzled and bay, according to Webster, are both lackluster colors. The grizzle being gray, the bay being a moderate brown. Yahweh knew that this spirit of disease and death would be most prevalent in the southern countries. We could think of the south countries, Egypt. Could this be the Arab people? Look around us today. These people are all over the world. He says here, in the bay horse went, the bay went forth sought to go, that they might walk to and fro through the earth. There they go. And he said, get you hence, walk to and fro through the earth. So they walked to and fro through the earth. Even today they're walking. Then he cried, then cried he upon me, and spake unto me, saying, Behold, these that go toward the north country have quieted my spirit in the north country quiet. They caused my anger to rest. That's what it means. Or rather, had made my anger to rest. On that, they have carried Yahweh's anger and deposited there. Made it a rest upon them, as it abode, as John saith of the unbelieving. The wrath of Yahweh abideth on him. There in John 3.36. In other words, Yahweh is saying, 
Here that capitalism has hindered the movement of his perfect spirit in the northern countries. We see that it's easier to get people to serve Yahweh in poverty, stricken countries, and communist countries than in America and other capitalist nations. That's just a quick insight of Zechariah chapter 6 and verse one, uh, chapter 1. The same vision that Zechariah sees, seen, I should say, seen, John now sees. The sixth chapter, Revelation begins the process of opening the seven seals of the scroll first shown to John in Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It's important to note that the horsemen of Revelation 6 only ride when Yahweh allows it. They're not given free reign upon the earth at will. Side note, I want you to focus on the sequence of these horses. If we assume that the white horse is the false Messiah, claiming to be the true Messiah, then we can say that this white horse is the false head. This rider is deliberate, but rather poor imitation of the Messiah. Once again, we have to ask ourselves, when did the Lamb begin to open up these seals? Think about that. When did the Lamb begin to open up these seals? When Christians lose focus on the true Messiah, then we lose those blessings from Yahweh. Therefore, Yahweh will allow those following this false Messiah to fall into the bondage of the three remaining horses. I want you to stay focused on Yeshua Messiah and his word. Not the traditions and the doctrines set forth by church denominations. Let's begin this quest. Let's see what John has to say in this chapter 6. Verse 1. And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. I do. In the Greek, saw. I do. To see. Implying not the mirror of the looking, but the actual perception of the object. What's the object here? It's don't, you got to focus. The Lamb. He's focusing on the Lamb. I looked. John fixed his eyes attentively on what was passing. As a promising important disclosure. I'm looking at the lamb. No one had been found in the universe. That could open the seals. But the lamb of Yahweh. As we read there in chapter 5. Verses 2 through 4. It was natural for John. Therefore to look upon the transaction. With profound interest. He's looking. What's he going to do? He says. And I heard. As it were the noise of the thunder. One of the living, one of the four living creatures speaking with a voice of thunder or a loud voice. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. Come and see. Attend. Attend to what's about to be exhibited. It's very likely that all was exhibited before John's eyes, as in a scene. He saw every act representative which was to take place, all the persons and things which were to be the chief actors. John seen it all, folks. Come and see. Now, I will say, 
that in a majority of our texts, they do omit this word, this phrase here and see. But come and see. Now, keep in mind that as I go through these seals, I'm giving you some thoughts on what is happening today and even yesterday. These seals may have been open for some time now, but they're still doing their work. They will continue to work until the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords comes back together, his redeemed elect, that continue to go about and reach out to those souls which lie in darkness and boldly proclaim the gospel of his kingdom, exposing this new world order. You see, folks, we are in a spiritual battle. Make no doubt about it. Verse 2. And we had opened the second seal. I heard the second beast come. I'm sorry. And I saw, verse 2, and I saw, and behold, a white horse. I call attention. I'm, I'm looking at that. Whoa, whoa. Uh, I'm intrigued by what I'm looking at. And he that sat on him, on the white horse, this is the Antichrist, the Anti-Messiah, had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth, conquer, and do conquer. This white horse, the Antichrist, I want you to take note of the false rainbow. This is not Yeshua Messiah, as some of the early Christian writers claim, or the Roman Catholic Church as the Reformation period. However, this is a fake religion. Just as we see today, we see many churches getting away from the truth of Yahweh's words. This, I believe, are the forerunners of the white horse. I can't pinpoint one denomination. Hey, Never forget, let me turn there, never forget the words there in Amos. Amos means burden. Amos chapter 8, verses 11. This is what he says here. Behold, the days come, saith Yahweh, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. How accurate was he? For hearing the words of Yahweh. White, this white horse, symbolic of purity. Keep in mind that Satan himself can turn himself into light. As Paul writes, I'm going to turn there. I'm giving you all these scriptures so you understand uh, there in 2 Corinthians. Let's see here. Chapter 11. He says here. Uh, what's it? Verse 14. He says here, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed. Man, we're talking about supernatural events here. Into the angel of light. 
Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose end shall be according to their works. Don't overlook that. Satan and his followers, all those that continue to destroy the gospel of Yeshua Messiah. Matter of fact, right here at Paul in the second Corinthians, I'm going to turn to chapter 2, verse 11. Paul writes here, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. That's to say his method of operation. See, here's the sad part. Your average pew warmer, middle milk bottle sucking Christian, they are ignorant of his devices. That's the sad part. You know why they're ignorant? Well, because of those standing in the pulpit. They're not teaching chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line. They're not unrounding the words of Yahweh. They're not getting into the depths of it. They're following man's way instead of Yahweh's man. That's what we're up against. It's sad, folks. Truly, it's sad. You know, I'm going to pick this up next week. I'm going to start this fresh next week. In this chapter here. As I close out this morning. I can't help but think of the gospel of John chapter 5 verse 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you. He that heareth my word. Believeth on him that sent me. Hath everlasting life. And shall not come into condemnation. But is passed from death unto life. Now we come to a verse that's been used as much as any other in the Gospel of John for winning souls. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but has passed from death unto life. Folks, what an amazing statement do we have here. Can any believer in the Lord Yeshua Messiah doubt their eternal salvation with words like these before him? Words that come directly from the lips of the Son of Yahweh himself. He begins with a divine oath. Verily, verily. We find the double verily only in John's gospel. Again and again we find it there. It always introduces it the truth of tremendous importance. In the Dewey version of the verse, it reads like this. Amen, amen, I say unto you. He who hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life comes not into judgment, but it's passed out of the death and the life. Think of it. What a wonderful declaration. Amen, amen. Verily, verily. It means without any possible controversy. He that heareth my word. Let me ask you something. Have you heard his word? There are many people who hear with an outward ear, but not hear with the heart. You see, folks, he speaks of hearing the word in the sense of receiving it in the heart. He who receives and believes what Yahweh has said in, in his word, what Yahweh has said about our lost condition, about the redemption, he who hears the word of his gospel and believeth on him that sent me 
is not exactly on, but he that believeth him. You see, it's Yahweh has spoken. When I speak to individuals or give someone something from the word of Yahweh, I'm preaching what Yahweh has said. Do you believe Yahweh? People sometimes say, well, I'm trying to believe. Trying to believe who? Yahweh has spoken. Folks, you either believe him or you don't believe him. If you believe what Yahweh has said, our Lord declares that you have eternal life. Now notice, it's not that you may have hope to have it, provided you can you continue faithful. It's not eternal life at the end of the way. It's the present tense. He that believeth. There's a sense, of course, in which eternal life is at the end of the way. The reason is that if I'm a believer in Yeshua Messiah today, I know that someday, when he comes again, my very body will quicken into eternal life. But every believer, here and now, possesses life, eternal life. The very life of, Yush of Yahweh is communicated to him who trusts in the word of Yahweh. Now look at this. Shall not come in the condemnation. The word is really judgment. There's no judgment to those who are in Yeshua Messiah. Why? Because all our judgment was borne by the Lord Yeshua Messiah. When his arms were outstretched on Calvary's cross, there all our sins deserved were poured, up, poured out upon our blessed substitute. And so we shall never have to go into the judgment for our sins. Our judgment day was at the cross. You see, Yeshua Messiah died, and we died with him. Buried in his grave we lay. All our sins were dealt with when he took our place upon the tree. And so we shall not come into judgment, but already have passed out of death into life. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning in that name of Yeshua Messiah. I thank you for that day there at Calvary's cross. As he placed upon himself the sins of myself and many others out there, Lord, listening this morning. As we celebrate this Father's Day, we must look upon the great Father himself, the creator of our souls. That gave us the ability to walk upon this earth, to allow us to make our decisions. Thank you, Father, for that. Thank you. Oh, yes. I pray that all those listening this morning follow the path of light and not darkness. But unfortunately, Lord, there's many out there that do follow the path of darkness. Those, Lord, those are the ones that we're trying to reach out. To bring them out of the darkness. To bring them into the light of Yeshua Messiah. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, with your help, we will continue this battle each and every day, each and every day. Thank you, Father. As we celebrate our Father's Day, we remember the great Father, the great I Am of us today, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for all things. In that name of Yeshua Messiah, amen, amen.